0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at at infothedistrict.church. Well, good morning, church. My name is Duane, one of the pastors here at the District, and I just want to welcome you to the District Church. I know we've got a couple of new faces around the room. Um, We are in a new location, so we've been... For Just a couple of weeks and uh, are glad to be in this neighborhood and at the same time as we are here uh, One of the things that we've been doing is walking through a series That is allowing us to kind of have we're going to work on this a little bit. It's a new mic So just kind of bear with us as we work out the kinks through it Um, But with that being said we're in a series and in this series it's called Christian story Christian belief and Christian formation we're really walking through is helping us learn more about just really an elevator pitch of the gospel, an elevator pitch of what the entire uh, narrative or meta-narrative of the Bible really is. And so if you were sitting with somebody just to explain to really quickly what is the Bible about, we kind of broke it down into four buckets, and those four buckets that we looked at were creation, the fall, redemption, and then restoration, really the been kind of spending all of our time in, and we're now entering into, or are in the fourth bucket of it as we kind of wrap it up over the next couple of weeks. And so looking at creation, creation, he is uh, the only being that has ever existed for all eternity, self um, existence nothing other than the Trinity, the community there. And as he has existed, he then created everything out of nothing, and it was good and from do I need to grab the other one all right we gave it a shot all right didn't have any problems out of this one so we created everything and it was good and then from there we broke it all right we broke it we fell we sinned we were disobedient to god and through our disobedience, we fractured everything. We, we broke the cosmos, sin entered into the world, death entered into the world. And so anything and everything that you and I perceive is broken. Nothing that we see is perfect until ultimately God brought in the plan of redemption and enter in Jesus. And so throughout the entire Old Testament with the Israelites, everything points to Jesus Christ. So the law was not ever meant to be put into place in order for us to fully live by it, fully understand it, fully be obedient to it in order to bring about righteousness or salvation. Rather, the law was put into place so that Jesus Christ, when he would come, would be the standard of righteousness. He would come to ultimately offer perfection and please God in everything that he did. His thoughts, his affections, his soul, everything that he exists as was perfect. And the law points to him. Not only did the law point to him, but the ceremonies that they offered, the sacrifices that they offered, everything was to point to Jesus. So his plan of redemption is literally spelled out throughout the entire Old Testament. And it's meant to spell out one thing. Don't miss Jesus when he shows up on the scene. Don't miss Jesus. You don't need anything else. Don't miss Jesus. And so Jesus shows up on the scene and is the plan of redemption. He is the only one. That gives us any hope to fix the brokenness that we created, to fix the sin that we brought into the world, to fix the death that we ushered into the world. And so then through Jesus and his life and his death and his resurrection, then comes the birth of the church. And that's what Josh kind of ushered in last week as we started walking into this idea of how does God now begin to restore all things because redemption has come. Because Jesus Christ is here, because he has done the work of salvation, and because he now is with us spreading his message, spreading his gospel. What is the purpose of the church in helping to offer or bring about the restoration of all things? And so last week he talked about the birth of the church. Now we are looking at today the purpose of the church as God is using it as the primary vehicle to restore all things. And then next week, uh, and and really what we're talking about today is what our belief is regarding that. What is our belief about the church of Jesus Christ? And then next week, we'll really look at kind of where the rubber meets the road on the practicalities, um, um, really the application of how it fleshes itself out in your personal day and and your personal lives and how you interact with others how you interact with god but today i want you to see the foundation of that i want you to see the purpose of the church and if we're not as a church operating out of this purpose then we are not being the church we are not existing as the church we're just a group of people gathering together to sing some songs but we're actually not being the church if we're not believing these things to be true and therefore having them shape and mold our lives to become more like Jesus. Because what I'm going to talk about today regarding the purpose of the church is flowing from the essence of who Jesus is and what he is all about. Because just so you know, again, like I said, we've got some new faces. We are all about Jesus. Nothing else. Like we're, We are what some would say more of a liturgical church, which means we include some, some historical things that are found within the church over the last 2,000 years. That's why we do confessions. That's why we do call to worship. That's why we do exhortations. That's why we do communion. That's why we do baptism. We, we include those things, but if we were to do those things void of Jesus Christ, those things don't matter. They don't matter. We're singing empty songs. We're offering empty prayers. We're doing empty confessions. We're doing empty sermons. We're doing empty things if Jesus Christ is not the main focal point of everything we offer and everything that we do and everything that we believe in. And so that is why today I want to show you this passage of Scripture which comes from, again, the words of Jesus and His commands that are offering for us the purpose of the church and why it exists. So if you will... Turn with me to Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be looking at verses 34 through 40 today in our main text. And we'll offer a couple of supporting texts with it as well. Matthew 22, picking it up in verse 34. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So a couple of things to point out here to to draw this connection here. Because again, Jesus is, is giving them a command. He's telling them this is what you should do. If you're asking what is the greatest commandment, I'm telling you the greatest commandment is to love your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the greatest commandment. That's the number one commandment, number one purpose in life is to love God with everything you got. All your heart, all your soul, all your mind. In addition to that, loving God, you need to also love others as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the second commandment, but it's like the first commandment. If you love God, you will love your neighbor. And if you love your neighbor, it'll show that you also love God. They, they go one in, in together. They are both in In addition. You can't have one without the other. And so what he's saying here is this is the command. And not only is this the command, this is the greatest command but it also is summing up for you the entire law and the prophets. So he's really kind of fast-tracking for them right now, a moment where he's not saying don't worry about reading the Old Testament, but what he's saying is if you read the Old Testament and you don't come out of it understanding that the two main things are to love God with everything that you have and to love others as you love yourself, then you've missed the point of the entire Old Testament. Now, in some ways, that kind of contradicts what I just said about five minutes ago that everything in the Old Testament is to point to Jesus and Jesus alone. So what Jesus is doing here is he's putting the test back in their court. He's testing them based on these commands to see if they actually can understand what he's actually saying. Because what we want to do in our culture today is we want to take verses like this, and we want to adopt these verses as sort of a rallying cry because we love these types of grand gestures we love these types of verses where it says you are to love your god with all your heart you are to love your god with all your soul you're to love your god with all your mind and we love those things we put them on t-shirts we put them on coffee cups we, we we put them on posters on our walls in our homes we love these things because, again, it's this grand gesture. It's like the on the court. you got to give it 100%. percent you got to do whatever you can in order to accomplish whatever needs to be accomplished. But the reality is, if, if we were to be honest with ourselves for a moment, the reality is, is we have never given it our all in anything that we've ever done. I mean, can we be honest with ourselves for a moment? We've never given it our all. We've never left it all out on the field. Why? Because we're finite. We're limited. If you try to give it your all, you'll pass out before you can actually do that. You can't. Like, we're not even good at failing. Our bodies will give up before we are able to do that. We cannot give it our all. And so when we hear a scripture like this, you are to give it your all. What Jesus is doing is he's giving them an impossible command. He's giving them a command that only God can fulfill. He's giving them the same omni-attributes that God possesses himself. God is the only one. And what I mean by omni-attributes is the fact that God is omnipotent, which means he is all-powerful that He is omniscient, that He is all-knowing. And what He is commanding us here is to be omni, to to give our all in loving Him with our heart, to give our all in knowing Him with our mind, to give our all in worshiping Him with our soul when it comes to our physical and emotional well-being. And it's impossible for us to do that. Should this not be a command that we look at and think, Seriously, Jesus? This is impossible for me to accomplish. It's impossible for us to be faithful to. At best, it's temporarily invigorating like a halftime speech. And at worst, it's soul-sucking and defeating when we realize I can't love him with all my heart and with all my soul and with all my mind. I mean, just loving Him with all my heart at the very best moments of my life when my affections for God have been the highest and my devotion the strongest, my heart can still be polluted with the indwelling sin of selfishness. That somewhere in there, even when, again, I'm on the mountaintop. With all my affections, with all my heart, with I, I'm believing that I am loving him with all my affections. There's still within me this indwelling sin of selfishness that I'm doing it to gain something. To gain something. Love him with all my soul. Even in those moments, those times in my life, where everything that animates my physical and emotional well-being, whatever that looks like, whether that's going out on the golf course and I'm trying to worship him because I'm, I'm doing something, joy and it's and it's even though physically taxing it's physically restful for me for some reason even in those moments where i'm trying to my emotional well-being i'm doing it and looking for it in all the wrong places places where it's not actually finding soul rest in god alone love god with all your mind when <laughs> When added to all my heart and all my soul is all my mind, every thought and every intellectual desire that I might have, I am simply condemned three times. Condemned three times when we're truly looking at these things. Because as Isaiah 55 says, Seek the Lord, that is love the Lord, worship the Lord, go after him while he may be found, call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Even when we think our thoughts are on and they're right and they're good, they're still not the thoughts of the Lord. We cannot love him with all our mind in a way that ultimately pleases him in perfection. So follow me here for a moment. Jesus is commanding us to love the Lord with all your mind, your thoughts, and yet also tells us in Isaiah that your thoughts are essentially ungodly and that they are not like God's thoughts. They are not God-like thoughts because they are not like his love god with godlike thought of mind godlike animation of soul godlike affection of heart and as we have those those moments or even whether it's on coffee cups or t-shirts or whatever it looks like when we have these reminders of this all around us what we're actually reminded by is a command that's too much for us to bear and that actually every time we sip out of that coffee cup We're just sipping our own condemnation because we actually can't do the command that he's given us. But here's the truth. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay in your failure of this because of the beauty of the gospel. The good news of restoration matters in this moment. God commands this of you. But he does not expect you to accomplish this without the help of God himself. He gives us commands we cannot fulfill without his son Jesus Christ fulfilling them in us and through us. This is why the incarnation of Jesus' life is so important to the entire meta narrative of the Bible, it's because the entire meta narrative of the Bible is, is, is preaching one thing. You are not enough, and you are not worthy of, his, of, of, of a relationship with God. You have messed up. You are broken. You are finite. You are limited. You cannot accomplish this. You cannot do this. You mess up time and time again. That's the entire meta narrative of the Bible when it refers to human beings. And time after time after time again, we think we can fix it. We think we can solve it. We think we can do what he has commanded of us. But yet we need to come to the realization, the freeing realization that we can't, that we can't. God commands us to keep this law summed up in the great commands of love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and also love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depends the entire law of the Lord. We cannot accomplish it, achieve it, or 100% nail those two commandments alone. And how do I know that? Because Romans three nineteen through 24 says this. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. That is you and me. So that every mouth may be stopped. Stop giving excuses. Stop giving empty promises to God that I will do it right this time. That I will follow you perfectly this time. It will stop us and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, you trying to do this, by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. No human being will be declared perfect, pardoned, forgiven, righteous by us trying to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. No human being will be justified in his sight. Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. You see, these disciples, when when these disciples and these adversaries of Jesus, when they're hearing this, this message from Jesus, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, it was meant to produce one thing and one thing only. Not a rallying cry where they leave saying, let's go do this. Let's, let's storm the front. Let's, let's get to the battle lines. Let's go love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind. It was not meant to produce that out of them. What it was meant to produce out of them was literally them falling to their knees and saying, this is too much for us to bear. We can't do this. It's impossible. It was meant to reveal to them their sin. Their sin, their fallibility, so that then he could respond. But now, but now, the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. The law cannot manifest the righteousness of God. You doing it perfectly cannot manifest the righteousness of God. Something else has to be manifested. Incarnation of Jesus Christ showing up on the scene although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. They're talking about Jesus the whole time. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by doing the law? No. Are justified by loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and spirit? No. Are justified by His grace as a gift. His grace as a gift through the third bucket. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Only a righteous heart can love God with all their heart. Only a righteous soul can love God with all their soul. Only a righteous mind can love God with all their mind. If righteousness is necessary perfection is necessary and it's ultimately not found in our world it's not found in you and me and our trying and our merit then it must come from out of our world and that's through the manifestation of jesus the god man coming into our world to be the only righteous person to ever live and never sin jesus is the only one who has loved god with all his heart He is the only one who has loved God with all his soul. He's the only one who has loved God with all his what? Mind. And therefore, we need that love that comes from Jesus to come to us in order for us to ever have a chance. And that's why 1 John 4 19 says, we love following the command we love because he first loved us he first loved us so yes love God with all your heart love God with all your soul love God with all your mind but understand that that is an impossible task if you do not possess the righteousness of Jesus Christ if Christ is not in you there's no chance zero chance of being able to fulfill the command that he has given to us if you've not been graced with the love of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ you do not possess the ability to love God in return so as you read these words don't hear it as a rallying of the troops to exert their energy to give God their all no we are to hear those words and fall to our knees because we have been humbled That God would grant us access to love him through the love, the perfect love, that Jesus Christ displays towards God himself and then gives it to us. No one can boast in their efforts. No one can boast in their Christianity. No one in this room can boast in how much your mind knows about the scriptures or about Jesus. No one in this room can boast in how much you worship from the affections of your heart. No one in this room can boast about the emotional or physical well-being of your soul when it comes to how much you are in love with Jesus and are exhorting ex- ex- Him and admonishing Him and, and, and turning to Him and worshiping Him in everything that you do about your life. Or even how you've created a rule of life that is focused or centered around the person and work of Jesus Christ. I don't care how mature you are as a believer. You cannot boast in your maturity. You can only boast in Christ who has matured you who has grown you who has given you as a gift his grace to make you more and more like him like himself christianity is not a puff your chest out type of religion type of belief system type of of worship it is rather a system of worship that god has instituted to this world that it centers around one person his Son jesus christ and we're all after him receiving him as a gift and receiving everything that comes with him. And just as we see in the person of Jesus, his love for God perfectly is also evidenced in his love for neighbor. As the command goes on to say, love your neighbor as yourself. When have you ever loved a neighbor as you love yourself? I mean, if he didn't already give us the triple whammy of love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, he then gives us another one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Can we be honest? We've not loved our neighbor as ourself. And you might be thinking, well, I am like one of the best friends a friend could have. I'm not talking about friends. I'm not talking about people that you like. I'm not talking about other church members. I'm not talking about that. the Bible often than not talks about neighbor as adversaries and enemies than it does those who you like and enjoy or, and run around in your circles of influence with. Have we loved our adversaries? Have we loved our neighbors who are not like us? Have we loved our enemies? Have we loved those who persecute us as we love ourselves? Absolutely not. We have not. We've not done that. And it's freeing for you to get to the place where you understand that you haven't. Like right now, don't, don't take this as a, well, that's a bummer. Like take this as a, you're right, I've not. And that's a problem. That's a problem because I'm seeing Jesus. And I'm seeing him love God with everything that he is. And I'm seeing him love his neighbor, especially those who are persecuting him and murdering him and hanging him on a cross. I'm seeing him love them and and sacrifice everything that he is in order to forgive them, to give them a gift. How do I get to that place? We feel the weight of this again. Again. And therefore, we come to this conclusion that these two commands are what fuel ultimately our great commission. Love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Those two things give way to a great commission. And I want you to see something in the great commission. And again, this is if you were to just dumb down purpose of the church. Love God, love others. Love God, love others. And I'm sure you've seen that on billboards. A thousand churches have as their vision statement. Love God, love others. Because it is the purpose of the church. Glorify God, worship Him with everything that you exist to be, and then also then take God to others as you love them and pursue out and and just continue to spread the gospel. Those give way to the commi- those give way to the commission. Those give way to the actual plan of loving God and loving others. This is what that looks like in Matthew chapter 28, 16 through 20. And I believe one of the things that Jesus does here, which is such a beautiful way because it's Jesus, in how he offers himself as the fuel and source needed for us to actually love God and love others through the Great Commission. Through the Great Commission. This is what he says in Matthew chapter 28, starting in verse 16. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee. Now listen, for, just, for those of you who don't have a church background, this is post-Jesus on the cross. All right? he's, he's been taken to the cross. He's been killed. He's been buried for three days. He resurrects. And after he resurrects, he hangs out for about four at the right throne of, of, of the throne of God. In these 40 days, he gathers his disciples and they come onto a mountaintop. And this is where it picks up. The eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So disciples are coming to the mountain, stumbling with the commands to love God and love others, stumbling with even just the one, to love God with all your mind, because they're doubting. They can't even get that one right. And these are guys... And with Jesus for the last three years in ministry, they've seen Him do the miracles. They've seen Him raise dead people back to life. They've seen Him come back to life. And yet some are still doubting. Some are still unable to love Him with all their mind. This should be a comforting truth for us because I guarantee for you, there were people in this room, me with you, we we're singing songs this morning and we've got some level of doubt. We've got some level of confusion in our minds. We've got some level of discontentment within our hearts, within our souls. We've got some level of Jesus, I'm barely getting in here and I can't get and I feel guilty for that. I feel ashamed of that. How can I utter words of worship when I'm still dealing with some of the same things that these disciples are dealing with here? Doubt. And Jesus came and said to them, and here's what I want us to do right now. I want you to hear this as if Jesus was standing here telling it to you. Telling it to your mind. Because that's what the Bible is. It's the living and active word of Jesus Christ. It's not just words on a page. It's not just a historical textbook that Christianity adopted in order to try to fuel their religion. It is the foundation. It is the very source that provides for us the revelation of God and him telling his story about his plan of redemption and restoration of of human beings coming to faith in Jesus Christ and providing them exactly what they need from his mouth, from his heart, from his mind, as if he was standing here physically declaring it to you. That's what this book is declaring to us, is these are the words of Jesus And this is what He wants you to know and needs you to know in order to see Him, to know Him, and to worship Him. And so right now, hear these words of Jesus as He is seeing these doubting disciples, these ashamed disciples, because some of them just, just denied Him three times. Some of them ran away. Some of them quit the ministry. Some of them did not follow through with what they promised that they would follow through. So Filled with shame, filled with guilt, filled with doubt. Here they are, these measly disciples, and this is what Jesus says to them. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's that all word that has been haunting us today, right? All authority. but here that word can finally be seen as an advocate for us where in the beginning love the lord your god with all your heart well i'm condemned because i can't do that love the, love the lord with all your soul well, i'm condemned because i can't do that love the lord with all your mind well i'm condemned because i can't do that here all does not offer condemnation but it offers for us salvation all Authority. All authority. And just in case you're wondering how much authority, in heaven and on earth. We go back to that first bucket of creation. God created the heavens and the earth. That's his way of saying anything that is existing, he created it. All authority. All authority in everything that exists belongs to jesus he possesses it doing a little bit of greek origin on this phrase authority provides some really interesting things for us regarding our great command to love the lord your god with all your heart with all you're going to know that command because i'm saying it a lot all your heart all your soul all your mind when it comes to the authority that jesus possesses here's what the original greek text is defined by And it's in actually three different ways. Number one is the power of choice and liberty to do as one pleases. That is to serve one's affections and heart. When it comes to the affections and the heart, Jesus' authority has all authority to do whatever his heart and affections are pleased. Number two, the power... Of physical and emotional strength with which one either possesses or exercises, especially in relation to the soul. Whatever his soul wants, he can do. He has all authority. Number three, the power of mental ability by which one's will and commands are superior and thus submitted to by all that is inferior. What Jesus is saying here wrapped up in the term authority that Jesus possesses all that is necessary to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. If you had any doubt on how to do that, Jesus just erased it. He erases it by saying, you're nervous about loving God with all your heart. I possess all the power and ability to be able to do that. You're nervous and doubting about how to worship God with all your soul. I possess every ability and possession unable to do that. You're nervous and doubting on how to love the Lord God with all your mind. I possess all power and ability to be able to love with all your mind. It is all mine. And I'm giving it to you. I'm giving it to you. I'm granting it to you by His grace That he is going to live through you what you need to do in order to please God. Which allows me to be able to breathe. To be able to rest. And to be able to know that within me, Christ possesses the ability that I can trust in in order to love God. And to do so technically, imperfectly, until he returns or I go home to be with him. Because Christ in me has already perfected it himself. And therefore, when God looks at me, he sees me as if I have loved him with all my heart, all my soul, and all my mind. You are never left lacking what is necessary to fulfill the greatest commands of God in your life, simply because Jesus is with you. And then he gives the therefore statement. Because all authority in heaven and on earth is his, and because he sandwiches that statement at the end of the Great Commission with, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority, I'm with you always, you always have what you need. You always have what you need. Because you always have what you need, go therefore. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, to love your neighbors as yourself is fleshed out in being a disciple. A disciple who goes and sees anyone and everyone that exists and says, I'm going to take the gospel message to them. That's making a disciple. I'm going to take the gospel message to them. I'm going to tell them about the creation. I'm going to tell them about the fall. I'm going to tell them about the plan that God has has had from the very beginning on how he's going to redeem his people, which is purchase them at a cost. And the cost is the shedding blood of Jesus Christ. I'm going to purchase them at a cost. I'm going to redeem them. And I'm going to make a people. And that people is the birth of the church. And that church has one job. One job. To love me and to love others. And the way in which they're going to do that is I'm going to send Jesus Christ And then Jesus doing all the work that they need him to do is then going to come back and then Jesus is going to send a helper, the Holy Spirit who's going to daily apply the gospel implications to your life. The good news that all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Jesus and Jesus therefore is giving you all authority to be able to love God and love others. Tell them about Jesus Christ. And as they hear the gospel message, Faith is granted, they believe in him, and then they continue doing the cycle. They continue sharing that good news, they continue receiving the forgiveness, receiving the love, receiving the restoration that comes from Jesus. And in all of that, worshipers are being born one after another, after another, after another, And as that worship is being born within their souls, within their minds, within their hearts, those affections are now turning from themselves and the world and sin and are turning to Jesus Christ and the Father and the Holy Spirit. The glory of God is spreading over the earth, as Habakkuk 2.14 says, as the waters covered the sea. That's God's mission. That's God's whole plan is to spread his glory over the entire earth. The church's mission is to spread it by just telling others, this is what Jesus has done for me. This is what Jesus has done for me. I've been trying to live a life by pleasing myself, finding satisfaction. And what that ultimately is, at the end of the day, is you trying to numb the fact that you're broken. Like our entire world is trying to numb the fact that they're broken by trying to outdo themselves in pleasure, outdo themselves in satisfaction. God is not anti-pleasure. He's not anti-satisfaction. He wants you to be the most pleased and satisfied person who exists. Our world thinks this through trinkets and toys. God knows that it's only through his son, Jesus Christ. That we are most, as as John Piper says, that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Not in things, not in people, not in careers, in him, in him alone. If we do not get to the place where Jesus Christ is our greatest treasure, then we will always look for treasure elsewhere. And we will be dissatisfied every time we open up that box of treasure, whatever it is, and it does not satisfy, it does not provide for us what we think it will ultimately provide. And so the message that we're declaring to others, going and making disciples of nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is teaching them to observe all that Jesus has commanded us. And what Jesus commanded us is, I'm what you need. I am the way. I am the life. I am the truth. You will find no life apart from me. You will find no truth apart from me. No matter how much you seek it out, you will not find it anywhere else. You can look inside and meditate on your own little heart as much as you possibly want, but you're not going to find any truth there. You can look into your mind. You can look to the stars. You can look to all kinds of other things, but you're not going to find any truth there because it's broken. It's fractured. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. Through Him. No man is pleased except through Jesus. And it's only when we see Jesus and love Him with all our heart, soul, and mind. And the only way we can do that is if Jesus does it for us. It all comes back to Jesus. We are just simply beggars here today begging for more of Jesus and then begging others to get Jesus as well. But yet we are the most satisfied beggars that ever exist because we're full. We're not begging because we lack anything. We're begging because in our satisfaction we want more of that satisfaction. We want more of Jesus. And so what we're going to talk about next week is how we actually play that out in our daily lives. What does it actually look like to make disciples? What does it actually look like to, uh, and, and baptism isn't just what we're referring to with the waters, but what does it look like to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? And what does it look like to teach them all that I have commanded you? Because there's a a distinction between making disciples as well as teaching them to observe everything that Jesus has commanded us. There's a lot more to it than just showing up and participating in church. If your participation in church is simply Sunday mornings to receive, you're missing it. You're missing it. You might think that that is in some way you loving God with all your heart all your soul with all your mind but just to show up and receive is not also loving your neighbor as yourself it's not also going to make disciples it is a process and a function in which we are making disciples that's included here right now disciples are being made by the proclamation of his word by the singing of the gospel by the praying of the gospel by the confessing of the gospel by the uh, uh, fellowship of the gospel as we relate and talk to one another afterwards. That is a process of making disciples. That is a function of it. In addition to that, there's a communal aspect of it where we gather in groups throughout the week and we make disciples as we interact in the lives of one another and we rebuke one another and we correct one another. We train one another in righteousness. We also encourage one another and we stir up one another and we love one another and we exhort one another and admonish one another and we give scripture to one another. That's also a part of making disciples. All of those things are a part of the process. You remove yourself from any part of that process and not only are you hurting yourself when it comes to the joy that is to be had, but you are also hurting those to which you are called to go and make disciples of. You are stopping it at the part where Jesus says, you're in the game. There is a rallying cry to play in the game, but you're missing it. You're missing it. So we'll get to that next week. Today, the way that I want to close out when it comes to communion is centering on this all authority. All authority. Jesus wields his authority in a very unique way. That is different than any other world leader, any other religious leader, any other dictator who has ever existed. Most wield their power, their authority, by oppressing and suppressing other people, or by exerting their dominance, or by exerting their knowledge, their abilities. Their competencies, their skills. Essentially what they're doing is they're gathering as many people in a room as possible and they're saying, I'm the smartest one in the room. I'm the one with the most power in the room. Therefore, elect me to be your dominant leader. Jesus does not exert his authority in that way. Jesus exerts his authority by becoming the least of these By going to a cross and literally becoming sin. So that you and I might become his righteousness. Jesus exerts his authority by literally saying. While we were yet sinners. I'm going to die for you. Talk about loving your neighbor as yourself. It goes beyond that. (laughs) It goes beyond that. And what we celebrate in the act of communion is Jesus Christ exerting his authority by saying, in order for you to have life and abundant life, I'm going to experience your death. I'm going to take your death. I'm going to humble myself to the point of death on the cross. I'm going to take the wrath of God that is owed to you. And I'm going to redirect it from you to me. And I'm going to let God pour his wrath out on me in order for you to have life. In order for you to experience the grace of God rather than the wrath of God. The mercy of God rather than the righteous anger of God. That's how Jesus exerts his authority. And that is an authority worth worshiping. And what we do in communion is it is a moment every single week for our church to come together as a body of Christ, to lift up Christ as the sacrifice that makes all of this possible. For us to see him and to treasure him at what he was willing to do in order for us to be able to utter words of worship and praise to God. For us to have consciences that are cleaned and forgiven. And for us to then be able to enter into the same mission and game that God is doing when it comes to making disciples and spreading his glory over the earth. We worship him because of his sacrifice at the cross. And so what I want us to do right now is I want you to actually go ahead and stand And if you do not have any of the elements at the back table, I want you to go ahead and make your way back there. Grab the elements and I want you to come back to your seat. And when you get back to your seat, we will partake together. This is a time, again, for us to to be refreshed, to be restored at the sacrifice Jesus was willing to offer. This is a time where we can remember that Jesus became our sin. All that shame, all that guilt, all that pain that we have felt and that we have experienced because of our sin that we have committed, Jesus Christ has taken it from you. And has placed it on himself. And then has given you, granted to you, all of his righteousness. Which cleanses you, forgives you, frees you of any doubt or any shame or any guilt that you've ever experienced. Once and for all. And we do this every week. Just like I hope that you with your spouses or with your kids or with your family. Every single week you, you tell them you love them. You spend time with them. You enjoy them. This is a reminder for us every week to kiss Jesus because of what he has done for us. To thank him, to worship him, to tell him we love you because you first loved us through your life, death, and resurrection. And so this is what the Apostle Paul says to the church in Corinth regarding the church gathering in order to partake of this supper For as often as you eat this bread and you drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's proclaim the Lord's death now, together, as we worship him for his sacrifice. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At